Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at The Black Phone, the new horror feature from Bloomhouse. We're also looking at House of Gucci, uh, Ridley Scott's film from last year that just hit Amazon Prime over the weekend. Big biopic, uh, you know, Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, lots of big names in there, uh, and it didn't get a lot of buzz, so I'm excited to talk about it. We're talking about the state of cinema and this current box office boom people say we're in right now. Is it just summer vacation? Or are the movies back? And before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week, Barbara Broccoli says the new James Bond is at least two years away. Quote, we are reinventing him. Some of you may remember uh, James Bond's previous outing, No Time to Die, which I think is now available on Amazon Prime following Amazon's swift acquisition of MGM Pictures. Uh, but they're on hold for new James Bond because they don't know what the hell they're going to do. And nobody knows what the hell they're going to do. Andy, any ideas? So, well, we've known that James Bond has been kind of a problematic uh, figure for for a while, but has gotten better o- over the years. But uh, we've really reached a new place kind of socially in, in what's acceptable to way to portray kind of men and women and uh, those relationships so they're kind of growing back to the drawing board i don't know what that means uh there's rumors that there's going to be uh you know there's always rumors that there's going to be either like a female james bond or maybe uh a black actor is going to take over the role something like that we don't quite know uh but we know that's what they're going to figure out um this might be also a good time to just have a break because you're um you know, Daniel Craig played the character for 15 years. It's a good time to just kind of let let the audience, let the world have a break, and then introduce, bam, uh, some new big actor to uh, take take the reins. Yeah, I don't think anybody would disagree that things uh, the, the James Bond franchise has slowed down in the last few years, uh, not only because of the pandemic, but just because they haven't been making as many as they traditionally do. Yes, uh, Daniel Craig was the longest-running Bond. Um, but it didn't feel like it was 15 years because he only had, what, five movies? Uh, four? Five, five I think. Uh, which five, is one yeah. every, like, three. Uh, and, and it's not that Bond, t- Bond movies typically come faster, but it just felt like kind of its own thing, right? He was doing other projects during that time. He did Logan Lucky. He was in Knives Out. Like, it's not like he was locked down to Bond or anything. And I know that the Broccoli family said they really want, you know, somebody who's going to be on for the long haul. They want somebody who's going to stick around, probably somebody younger who they can get to hang on to the role for a little while and hopefully bring some star power. But they also want to be smart. They don't want to just do the same old, same old. You know, they want to do something different. Um, Time will tell. I I don't know how you recast Bond. Uh, I don't know what new direction you go in. A lot of good names attached to the franchise. You got Ralph Fiennes in there. You got Naomi Harris. Uh, I mean... I don't know. That's that's the other big question is, you know, do you recast the existing, you know, M, Penny, Money Penny, all the other kind of supporting characters in it? Do you basically kind of restart the universe? Do you just continue? Uh, A lot of questions, a lot of going back to the drawing board. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be honest. I don't know how how involved. uh, It's a nice way to say this. They should they should call the people who do Mission Impossible. That's what they should do. But not Tom Cruise, because Tom Cruise can't be Bond. So, and and I don't know if he would be involved if he wasn't the star. So, yeah, I, I think you should take some direction from that franchise, see what they're doing, run in that direction a little bit. Uh, that seems to be pretty hot, and people like it. Bond's still a bit niche, and I don't know what they're going to do next, but whatever it is, is at least two years away coming out of Amazon. Our next story, this is a quick one, really just a quick headline. Uh, Disney CEO Bob Chapek gets new long-term contract. Everybody said... Oh, Bob Chapek has got to go, right? Uh, he's he's getting political, and Disney had this whole thing with the Don't Say Gay bill in Florida, and, and he came out and said a thing, and that made some people mad, and then they put another kiss in Lightyear that what they had taken out. Disney has been in some functionally rocky waters politically, and a lot of people said, new Disney CEO Bob Chapek is going to be on the outs. There's no way Disney sticks with him. Well, joke's on you guys. He's got a new three-year contract. Not forever, just three years, but the Disney Board of Directors is doubling down on our wonderful CEO. And any hot takes? I, I, we talked about it before the show. It's just kind of a headline, but I don't know. Any thoughts on Disney's direction the last couple years and maybe their I mean, continuation I think the big, down this road? The big thing that he's brought is brought to fruition is Disney Plus. I think he had a lot. I can't remember it was him or, or Bob Iger. I'm pretty sure it was, he it had. It was Iger. Oh, it wasn't. Uh, Iger did Disney okay. Plus. 
Tiger also bought Marvel, bought Star. But he, he's Chadwick new. Is he's continuing he's the, the vision yeah. of yes, Disney right. Plus. Uh, I mean, Disney is still continuing to make uh, big moves with with their streaming service. I mean, Disney Plus is ma- is massively going to give Netflix a run for its money in the next couple of years. Disney Plus will probably be the biggest streaming service over Netflix, which is just pretty crazy to think about. Um, so they they have made some good news. They're going to be opening a new park in uh in China in Shanghai. Shanghai Disney is gonna that's a whole new park. That's another big thing. Uh, I think he's, I mean, he's been fine. He's just he he toes the line. He gets the the brand. Uh, he has made some controversial decisions, but not not anything earth shattering. Yeah, uh, I you know fan, fans of the park might feel differently. Uh, Iger previously was. Uh, head of parks development and there have been some cost cutting measures that taken there while also increasing ticket price but disney parks is its own bag we didn't really do that on this show we're about movies here and for what it's worth as far as movies go bob chapik's doing pretty okay so keep it here for more from disney on off script and we'll see if uh see what happens in three years maybe maybe they're just testing the waters you know maybe they're just gonna just gonna wait and see i feel like Iger was getting longer than three-year contracts so for what it's worth you know the the, the naysayers don't have nothing to worry about. Guys got another thousand days or so. That's all. Uh, next up, Dune 2 has a release date as well as a new Godzilla Kong movie. Andy, are they just going to pair Godzilla and King Kong forever? Is that like the magic? Is that the secret sauce at the box office that these two properties need? Or what, the, what? What is this? You know, mixing properties has always been a, a big Hollywood thing to do. I think, you know, Freddy versus Jason, something like that. Alien versus Predator. You know, you mix two Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, These big cross crossovers, we call them in the comic uh, community. Yeah, this is going to be a huge movie. We we saw Godzilla versus Kong. It was ridiculous and big monster kaiju fights that that you want to see. And that's what we were saying. It's it's a great popcorn flip. It made a lot of money, made over, you know, 400 million globally you knew we were getting a, a sequel so it's no surprise we'll be getting one in a couple of years yeah very excited about whatever's coming next uh you know i like godzilla just fine right i'm not any kind of diehard fan i appreciate where it came from kong's kind of a similar boat and i was skeptical going into godzilla v kong and that movie was surprisingly fun if you asked me if i'd recommend godzilla v kong or the new jurassic world hand over fist it's it's godzilla v kong so much more fun, so much more interesting, <laughs> so much more engaging, so much, so much more popcorn than than dumb Jurassic World. And they're sticking with director Adam Wingard, who did the previous Kong movie, Kong Skull Island. He did Godzilla Kong. He's doing this next one. I'd assume in traditional format, this is going to be his last one, and then they'll kind of segue to a new director. But I don't know. Time will tell. But what we do know is new Godzilla Kong is coming, and Dune Two has an has 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 a release date. They actually pushed Dune. it back. <laughs> Yes, uh, my Arrakis will be dropping uh, over Thanksgiving weekend uh, in 2023, about a year and a half away. This is, uh, it's only moving about a month, but what's significant is it's moving right into that uh, Academy Awards Oscar window uh, when things start getting pushed closer to the end of the year, which is usually mid to late November th- in, through December. So it's going to be a big Oscar push for sure. Um, you know, people have compared the Dune series, even the first movie, to kind of a, a modern day Lord of the Rings, a big epic that's going to be multi multi filmed. Um, we know that that the previous or Dune Part One earned six nominations, uh, awards or so. Uh, one six, yeah. right? So pretty massive. It didn't win, get nominated for best director, didn't win best picture. But the thinking is, won when, six when, other Academy Awards. Right. The thinking yeah. is when it when it's complete, when part two comes out, that uh, you know, it might do like Return of the King and and kind of get the award for the whole series. So it's going to be a big awards push. It's only a month uh, later to wait, so that that's no big deal. Uh, I'm hugely excited about that. My favorite bit of this news is that Dune 2 is currently slated to premiere alongside the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbird and Snakes, which is the fourth film in the Hunger Games series. It is a prequel. I've read none of those books. I've seen none of those movies. But I'll be honest, of my limited scope, right, of, of my very small sampling, everybody I know in my life cares so much more about Dune 2 than like the Hunger Games prequel. <laughs> I think if I was Lionsgate, I'd be worried. I I I might be looking at other days. Like that's I I, I don't know. So, so the Hunger Games is an interesting 
uh, kind of cinematic phenomenon because it, it came on and helped kick off the kind of YA craze of post-apocalyptic teenage right around Harry angst. Potter and Twilight. Yes, Hunger right, Games you was know, right in there. It, it was part of part of that because uh, you got you got movies like this, uh, Maze Runner. Um, oh, I can't remember uh, uh, the Elite, Mortal Elite. Engines from Peter Jackson. That was supposed to be a big one. Oh, yeah. yeah, the uh, I can't remember. The, it's the four film series that has like Allegiant. Uh, something or oh, other the divergent series That's, i think is what it's called right yeah, yeah. yeah. yep yeah a and, bunch and, of those. and but and a number of these series started off real strong because early 2010s the kids were all about these post-apocalyptic scenarios and they all fizzled out towards like their third second and third films like the the divergent series i don't even think finished or is finished gonna be in like tv form uh so that craze that ya craze is kind of over so it's it's surprising that they're still sticking with this, uh, that they're making this prequel at all. I don't think there's a lot of um, interest in it, and especially you put it up against Dune, like no, you're gonna get swallowed. There was like something I sandworm. saw. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> also, I appreciated your Myrakis in the opening. Big Dune fans <laughs> here on Off Script. We, we we like Dune a lot. That's uh, good stuff. Um, if uh, I don't remember what screening we saw it wasn't black phone it was a couple weeks ago i went and saw something and they had a title reveal trailer for the new hunger games with like a logo and like big music it's all cgi it's title reveal right so it's all cgi no footage no actors or anything and like it just felt so lukewarm and, and i know i'm not you know i'm sure there's a there's, there's obviously an audience for hunger games they wouldn't be doing a fourth one if there wasn't um but man i'm Ter- real, just just off the off the jump i'm skeptical <laughs> That's it's so a terrible insane. title too. Like the Hunger Games is a great title. Like yes, that. and that Ballad was of a, Songbirds and Snakes is not right. The, and the first book and movie in that series is is the best part, and then it just gets worse after that. The money would be jumping to a streaming service, like make make eight episodes of season one on HBO, and then it's like exciting and it's home media, so it feels a little different and new for Hunger Games fans. Like you put it out in theaters, it's just. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right. We'll, we'll we'll keep you updated on Hunger Games four and Dune two and Godzilla Kong and all kinds of other things happening. Uh, two more kind of stories to go with, and these are pretty rolled together. Andy, what do you, what do you know about Gentle Minions? Do, do you know anything at all? Can I can I, I fill I, you in? I heard a little bit about this, but uh, yeah, go okay. ahead and fill us in. I've seen this a lot on TikTok. My 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 feed has has developed this to me personally. There is this post-ironic Gen Z gag going around on the internet of friends getting together, usually dudes, and dressing up in the finest suits they own, which are never nice. They're like prom suits, and all going to see Minions together. Minions, The Rise of Gru, the new the new Illumination Entertainment film, the kids movie that just came out this last weekend, Minions movie. We're not watching it on the show because Andy and I are not children, and we've seen none of these. Well, I think I saw the first. And Anyway, the point is, a bunch of Gen Zers are getting together and going to see Minions in like suits and sunglasses and going in like droves of dozens of people this started in australia when a tiktoker there uh, uploaded a video doing this and then it it started to spread there then it got to the uk that's mostly where it's been i think there's some people doing in the u.s i don't think it's too popular here Uh, but this reached a breaking point over the weekend when theaters were reporting uh incredibly raucous activity in in these theaters uh dudes getting up and screaming moshing in the front of the theater throwing stuff at the screen right it's like rocky horror picture show level insanity in a children's film that like families are going to the whole thing is called gentle minions because they're like gentlemen that are going to see the minions uh i think it's hilarious and a lot of theaters in the uk have started outright banning people from the theaters and putting up signs in their doors that say if you show up to buy a a minion ticket in a suit we're not going to sell you <laughs> they, they won't even let people in wearing suits to the minion movie it's hilarious uh and I, I wish this was more of a thing here i wanted to talk about it for a second because the power of cinema baby yeah why can't gen z go see a minion movie uh in in freaking suits uh the, the official account uh, instagram account for the minion movie uh, referenced this in a post uh, after the weekend. They made something with a minion stuffed animal and a couple guys in suits. Just acknowledging that this was a thing, which of course they should do because, you know, making money. Um, but I'm curious to see if and how Illumination capitalizes on this at all because obviously it's poor behavior, uh, but it's making them money. So, you know, I, I don't know. How, how, do, how, do you, how do you market to, to, to Gen Z, ironically, 
making fun of your movie by buying a ticket. It's a little like Morbius, right? And it did not yeah. work for Sony when they tried to do it. So yeah, that's that's all I have to say about that. Anyway, uh, the point of all of this is the Minions movie is light up the box office. Record July 4th, according to this article from The Hollywood Reporter, with a $125.2 million opening. Andy, any other big box office numbers you know? I do want to talk about Lightyear for a second. but Yeah, this yeah. is actually one of the best uh, July 4th ever, not just of the pandemic era. Um, this actually did better than the July 4th weekend in 2019, which 2019 was basically the biggest year film has ever had uh, at over $11 billion in income. That was tanked in the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but it is on the rise. They do think we'll hit seven, seven to eight, seven and a half to eight billion dollars uh, for 2022, which is a huge improvement. Obviously not as big as pre-pandemic times, but it, it's a good sign uh, that we're on the way. Um, in addition to Min- Minions, th- I can Minions 2, Despicable, it's the fifth film in the Despicable Me uh, franchise. Yeah. Uh, Top Gun Maverick c- continues to do gangbusters uh, around thirty million or so for the uh, July Fourth weekend, helped by the you know it's a patriotic holiday. Not no surprise there, but that continue that's hit over it's one point one billion now. It's it's only the second billion dollar film after Spider Man No Way Home. Um, Elvis also continued to do good, even though it had a, a pretty steep drop off. It's still number three. At the box office, uh, followed by Jurassic World and the Black Phone to round out the top five. Uh, one quick thing about Lightyear in in the face of Illuminate of of Minions coming out. Minions five came out and made more money in three days than Lightyear made in three weeks. Uh, and I didn't know this. We talked about this a bit last week, but I was watching watching a video about it. Um, Lightyear cost two hundred million to make before marketing. Before they spent a dollar on on a marketing budget, they spent two hundred million dollars. I'm not even sure it's made that back yet. I think it might have just crossed. It's like just cost to make the movie. <laughs> now they have to get into their marketing budget. So yeah, Lightyear may break even when this is all said and done. But uh, concern yeah, light- for my boys at Pixar, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pixar this, might not like this the, the Illuminations new Minions 5 just killed them yeah uh, Lightyear has been a big disappointment uh, financially it, it is doing well by any measure I mean 200 million is great and it, but it yeah. will need to make 400 million or so to break even when you include the marketing budget but also it it didn't do well and it was a really bad sign for families and kids films you know Hollywood was a little Nervous, thinking that, well, maybe families aren't ready to come back to the theater, but then they all came out for Minions. So it's definitely a more of a property, uh, an IP issue that, you know, if you you bring the right film, you'll get the right. O- the audience is ready come, to come back if you, uh, you know, if you if you film it, they will come. Yeah, that's that seems to be the case. And in the case of. Uh, go ahead. No, I said quote me on that. Else. Yeah, if, in the case of Minions, it seems like anybody will turn out for these things, including but not limited to uh, jaded teenagers who you know kind of miss their childhood and are dressing up in suits to go see it, which is great. Uh, with that being said, I think it just about wraps the news. We should probably move into our formal reviews. Uh, I'm going to be taking the summer in this first one. Excited to talk about it. Uh, the movie is The Black Phone. Would you like to see a magic trick? Yeah. The Black Phone is the new Scott Derrickson horror feature. Who is Scott Derrickson, you ask? Well, he's a director who's directed some exciting features, such as Doctor Strange, the first one. He also directed Sinister with Ethan Hawke and The Exorcism of Emily Rose. A couple other small features, but this is his first one back in the saddle, uh, coming out just shortly after Doctor Strange 2, on which he was an executive producer. Sam Raimi directed that feature. The Black Phone is a small uh, retro horror set in 1978 in Denver, Colorado, uh, following a 13-year-old boy who is abducted uh, by a child abductor named the Grabber and is uh, trying to figure out how to escape his uh, newfound prison before the Grabber does something awful to him. When uh, a phone inside of this kind of cell he's staying in starts to ring, completely unplugged phone, he picks it up and starts to hear voices of uh, previous victims who 
are out from the supernatural somewhere to help him figure out how to get out. Uh, Derrickson is a unique director. I have not seen many of his features, but I've always heard good things, and I was excited. Well, I was mildly excited to see this one. Uh, and now that I've seen it, I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, any thoughts on The Black Phone? Yeah, before we jump into it, I wanted, I wanted to mention real quick, uh, the writer, this is based on a short story by Joe Hill. Um, do you know? Yes. Do you know who Joe, Joe Hill is? Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. That's right. Yes, uh, I forgot about that. You're right. Yes, based on a, a short story from the kid of Stephen King. <laughs> so that that that's helpful to know because when I first saw this trailer, I, I said this this feels like a rip off of some Stephen King stuff, and now now I kind of understand why. But it, it's just a similar writing style where you know a lot of Stephen King's work is supernatural things, but that mirror kind of real life horrors and so we we get that a similar story here uh i really kind of got got into this because it's it's spooky it, it deals with that you know um uh, child ab- abduction uh phobia you know which is sometimes more justified than uh others but we, we get a good cast we, we get uh some really fine child actors ethan hawk is really good as the grabber the supernatural stuff uh were is just enough. Like I was, I wasn't sure how how much or how over the top that may or may not be. Um, but I really got into this. There's some really good cinematography at, at d- different points. Particularly, the, there's one scene where you see the grabber get out of a van, but it's in the it's not in focus. Like he's way in, in the background, uh, but he's wearing some sort of like big robes, and they're just kind of flowing. So you can't really make him out because it's out of focus. But uh. It's just, it's just a really good good scene kind of shot early in, in the movie, but overall I uh, I got into it. I went along with it. it. It reminded me of just like it's a small film that's solid. It's got a solid kind of story and characters and cohesive plot, and you know it's not a masterwork or anything, but it was it was a little solid film. I thought. Oh, perfect. These are the best kind of reviews. I did not like this movie. So now we get to to talk about what I didn't like versus what you liked, which is good. I've heard a lot of good things about the black phone. Like I've heard a lot of people say it was a bit of a surprise. The box office, it's doing as well as it is. It's not doing great now, but it's second week. It's fine. Um, I've heard people say that it's really endearing and that's another great work from Scott Derrickson. I suppose I need to watch more of his stuff. Um, I was not particularly impressed with Dr. Strange one. Those are the films of his that I've seen. That's really it. I didn't see sinister. I haven't seen the exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, this just felt really middling. It, fe- it felt very fine. It felt very average. Um, and I, I didn't need it to do anything big. It's, it's kind of a low budget picture. It really your only star is Ethan Hawke. Um, I should say they did a good job of picking out kids. They got a couple of good kids in this movie, uh, which is a real challenge with child actors. And, and Derrickson's got to climb uphill with child actors at the helm here. That That's really who this movie's about. Um, and it does a pretty good job, but it just feels particularly subpar to others in its genre. Like, hold this up next to It Chapter One, and you're going to pick it every time. Like, it's 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 fine. The Black Phone is fine. Um, but I just, I wanted a little bit more magic. I want a little bit more something. And I want to talk about what I, it is in there because there's some there's some stuff worth talking about. It's it's not that bad. I think I'm just cynical. <laughs> like, I, I'm not I'm not saying don't go see it. We do recommendations at the end, but let's jump into the film proper. Uh, let's start with our story. Uh, Andy's absolutely right. This is based on a short story by Joe Hill. I shouldn't just say he's Stephen King's son. Uh, Joe Hill specifically avoids using the surname King because he doesn't want to just be known as Stephen King's son. But it's hard to avoid. Uh, this movie does look a lot like It Chapter One or even something like Stranger Things. You definitely got kids on bikes. It's the 70s. We're in Colorado. And get right. Kids on bikes. And kids are getting abducted, right, by the, by, by, the, by this guy called the Grabber, which is already real creepy. And Derek's does a really good job of introducing the Grabber. Like Andy's right. He's always kind of out of focus. You never really get a good look at this guy. There's just kind of this black van that'll pull around in a shot. And the camera fades down. And the music gets sucked out of the room. And they do this other thing with a lot of like archival looking home movie footage, like eight millimeter, 16 millimeter reels to kind of uh, pepper in some dream sequence stuff, some montage stuff and, and kind of help grow the atmosphere of the movie while also feeling authentic to the time. Um, but black phone for the most part is shot in just a few settings, right? You're going to have, uh, Mason, our, our young 13 year old boy, main character of the movie. Who's, or his name's not Mason. I'm sorry. The actor's Finney. name's Mason. Uh, Finney. Yes. Played by Mason Thames. Thames. Uh, he is kind of in this, uh, 
Well, it's I don't want to say it's a I'm going to I'm going to say a, a, what a cell, a prison. <laughs> I don't want to give too many details because that's part of the part he's of the film. Like you, you start to figure he's it out. A, yes. Yeah. He's, OK, he's in a basement. I feel fine saying that. Uh, he's in a basement where most of our scenes are taking place with the grabbers kind of coming in and talking to him and engaging with him. And he's obviously engaging with our titular black phone. Uh, Mason has a sister, Gwen, uh, who's actually pretty well put together. She's this young girl, a couple years younger than him, who has these kind of visions in the night that might be visions. They might just be dreams and uh, she is a little related to this case. Uh, Ethan Hawke plays our grabber. He is our big, he, he's the money in the movie. He's 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 listed at the end of the credits and Ethan Hawke. He gets the and credit, right? He's the big one. Uh, and he's our, he's, he's our evil man uh, who, who presents as a bit of a magician, but wears these goofy looking masks that he swaps out parts for, the top and the bottom. And uh, also a really quick nod for Jeremy Davies, who plays the father, a guy who... Other, other than that, I think he's just really done bit parts. Uh, it's still kind of a bit part, bit part playing the father. Uh, the, the movie is about Mason. He's he's the main character and his sister a little bit, Gwen. Sorry, Finney and Gwen. Good Lord. Mason Thames <laughs> is, is the lead actor. Uh, for the most part, that's our movie. Simple settings, simple budget, like simple, simple premise. He's got a kid picking up a black phone. Right. We And some more details we have... Uh, Finney, I almost said Mason. Finney and Gwen yeah. live in somewhat of uh well, they live in an abusive home. Their father drinks a lot. Their mother, uh, we learn has died sometime in the past. Um they they have to be they're walking on eggshells around the house. They can't disturb anything or else they get beat by their father. Uh Finney is also getting bullied and, and picked on it at school and he has, you know, some people to protect protect him, but then sometimes not uh so it's a little bit of that you know a kid getting bullied at school he's got to kind of overcome that eventually stand up to to uh, these you know the bullies in in his life when we get down to the basement and this phone that's unplugged starts ringing these kinds of ghosts of the past help him to kind of try to try and this escape and help try they're trying to help him navigate this this situation because but it's they do a really good job of of like these ghosts don't really remember everything they just kind of it's like they remember the haze of their lives or they don't really remember their names there's a great line that says you know it's that your name is the first thing you lose over here in the afterlife um and i I thought that was a really interesting uh approach the the way they 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 can kind of help him but not 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 really uh it's sort of <laughs> effective but at the end of the day uh, finney still has to try and figure out how to solve his problems himself the the daughter gwen also she has a little bit of a supernatural ability where she has these dreams where she kind of sees again bits and pieces of possibly the future possibly the past possibly other she has maybe seen the grabber or seen uh, the kids be abducted by him in her in her dreams. They're not real sure. At one point, this is kind of silly. The cops show up and they're like interrogating this eight year old, and they're like, "Well, how do you know this? We haven't re- released this detail." They're like grilling this eleven year old girl, which kind of was awkward. Yeah, the police, it, this, the police are incompetent in this movie. Yes, the the script is is one of the highlights of the film. I think uh, Joe Hill does a fine job putting the movie together, uh, at least on the page. Uh, screenplay was also written by Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill. But uh, the 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 abusive dad adds a really cool layer to it, right? Like uh, uh, Finney and Gwen have to deal with this when they get home. This kind of like their own their own demon, their own monster. And that's even a little reflected in our grabber character, right? Like we never really get a good look at um, this, this this idea of, of uh, an older man beating on kids is definitely present throughout the whole thing, which is funny. Big Stephen King staple, right? Back from his days in the 80s when he was drinking. Ooh, you got to wonder if Joe Hill remembers that from when he was a kid. He prob- prob- probably doesn't, but big big Stephen King thing. Yeah, the, like, a the dad's King? a drinker and... Yeah, and yeah, kids are and getting so, beat on screen. Yeah, right. Kids, kids are getting yeah, <laughs> kids are getting beat up. Uh, and 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 uh, there's just some humor in there. Uh, Gwen gets a, a surprising number of funny lines. Uh, she, uh, 
kind of has these premonition things that it's it's kind of hinted her mom also had similar uh, kind of experiences and uh she she uh gets grilled by the cops who who yeah andy's right are, are so laughably incompetent this is this is one of those areas where the script is weak so laughably incompetent that that like it doesn't make any sense at all that they'd be talking to an eight-year-old in school and being like we didn't release those details of the the black balloons that the grabber uses how could she know like just like, like this, really, this, really thin, and and yeah. this this comes up again a couple times throughout the plot. There's a couple moments where you're just thinking in your head, "Have you done this yet, Finny? Did you did you do this to try to escape the room, or or oh hey, you've got an opening, you could do that." And the movie just kind of goes around itself to explain why he wouldn't. Um, there's one there's one line in particular, Andy. I'll tell you about it after the show. They, they ADR a line in when he's on the phone with one of these kind of ghostly former victims. And one of them asks him directly if he did something while his head's turned away from camera and you can't see him respond. You just hear it. They ADR'd it in. It feels like it's there because, I don't know, somebody along the way was like, hey, why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do this to get out of his situation? And and somebody right. else was like, well, that, that's stupid. That wouldn't work. Like, So it's a little... The, the script is clever. It also has a couple of pitfalls. And... The movie is fortunately smoothed out, I think, by a consistent visual style, a la It and Stranger Things. Uh, it looks really good. It's a good-looking movie. I, I don't I don't have problems with the way this movie looks. It, some of the writing, um, like I said, the, there's some things like the cops are in, are completely incompetent. Like if you had five children abducted from one school it, over the course of any any amount of time, especially a short one, like you, the neighborhood would just, I don't know, They'd be stringing people up by the rafters. Also, the, like I said, they're inter- they interrogate this eleven-year-old girl, and she like talks circles around them and tells them to screw off and stuff. And I was like, no, eleven-year-old talks like that. Like, yeah, she drops the f bomb like four times, which very much felt like, oh, this is an R-rated movie. This is an R-rated <laughs> movie. In case you forgot, this is an I R-rated like, horror go feature. Wa- go watch eighth grade to see how in- intelligent <laughs> like yes. middle schoolers are. Yeah. Um, th- I wanted to talk about uh, so this is a horror movie and uh, so there's some let's talk about the horror there there are some good scares in here there's not uh, it doesn't lean on on jump scares uh, the way a lot of do there are a couple that are pretty good some I mean and again some of the horrors are real life like you know child abduction is is a huge uh, phobia and, and a real life risk something that that can happen uh, as well as again things like alcoholism child abuse uh, death of a death of a parent so there's the real life horrors alongside of the uh supernatural yeah i like the way the film kind of juxtaposes like the friends of the victims uh with like the actual victims and the people who know of them at school versus like friends and uh when when the movie opens like we've just got like you know a couple scenes in we've we've got finney and gwen walking along after school and they see you know, a wanted poster for one of these kids that got grabbed and they're just like, Hey, you know, what do you, what do you think about the grabber? And Gwen's like, ah, I don't know. I blow it off, whatever. And like, it's like far away. It's not really a problem. And like just a few scenes later, like Finney's getting grabbed in like a horribly violent scene. It's <laughs> like incredibly jarring and awful. And like most of the members of the community, it's like a far away problem. Like, Oh yeah, the grabber. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I heard something about that. Whereas like the actual people involved, it's like hor- horrifying and nobody's coming to help because everybody just seems so apathetic to a problem. That's uniquely not theirs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hear kids are getting kidnapped in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, right. How, yeah. how about that? Yeah, the cops are like swinging by canvassing and one guy's got like some crackpot theory with a clipboard. Like, oh, they're going over here. And like, yeah, just like, I, I don't know. I, I can appreciate that. And, and additionally, the movie looks really good. Uh, it's very dark. It's a dark, dark flick. It's it's hard to see because uh, they use a lot of shadows and darkness, especially in this uh, kind of prison that uh, Finney is staying in. Uh, but very consistent style with the time. Uh, very good costuming. Like like uh, Gwen's wearing overalls and uh, Finney's wearing like a tight fitting '70s shirt and like yeah, every, every everything looks like it's in the '70s. Like it, it looks very authentic. Very very consistent styling, a la it or Stranger Things. Um, that helps. Uh, one thing that stood out stylistically was Ethan Hawke's mask. Do, do you have any thoughts on this, Andy? Because um, it's got like three different mouths and it seems like replaceable eyes with horns. Um, yeah, there's a, it's basically it's, a mask in like two or three parts. Yeah, that he and he kind of 
sometimes he just wears the top, sometimes just the bottom. Uh, yeah, you can, you can actually look get it online. <laughs> I was looking it up er, earlier. Yeah, um, well, that's cool. it's effective. It's 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 creepy and like you know, and it also kind of serves a purpose because he, uh, number one, it just it disguises him, um, but he can take parts of it off so he can kind of be a little bit more accessible. I don't, I'm not sure if you actually see him with it off uh, ever completely. Uh, it also one you know one of the things the that in this is in the, in the trailer where. Uh, after he's kidnapped the kid, uh, Finney says, "You know, if you try to like touch me, I'll I'll scratch scratch your face." And that's another thing. It just it's protection for him from any, anything that the kid might try. Yeah, uh, as uh, well. But it uh, it creeped me out. I thought it was pretty effective. Yeah, the mask emotes a couple of different uh, uh, feelings. One's a big toothy grin. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you can see it. I've got it up. Uh, one's kind of a big unhappy frowny face. One's just completely blank. He may come out wearing just the eyes and no mouth. I, I thought that would have a bit more, I don't know, visual indication but behind the kind of mental state of this individual, right? Maybe he's bipolar. Maybe he rapidly experiences mood swings and shifts. Maybe whichever mask he wears represents the version of himself that he's, you know, feeling that day. Um, unfortunately, the movie does not make a lot of effort to explain it. Um, and that's fine. Like, I wouldn't mind so much. But it feels like a big part of the reason Hawk wanted to do this movie in the first place is because of not ever really getting a good look at the grabber. I mean, he made it pretty clear he doesn't enjoy playing villains. Uh, he does not really want to do this. But he was in Sinister, Scott Derrickson's last big horror feature. Maybe he wanted to return. And I thought, I don't know, I guess I thought the character would have a bit more of his identity baked into this kind of mask and hidden thing. Really, that's strictly visual. You don't actually get to know the grabber all that well. And keeping an arm's length keeps it scary, I'll admit. Um, but I don't think that is worth saving uh, uh, for jump scares, which there are a few. Uh, and and from what I counted, like a couple of them, I, to me, were not earned. They, they were just shameless jump scares for the sake of being <laughs> jump scares. I think and I all, got of them, it. All, all of them I, got me. I feel I feel so so hollow when it comes to those things. Like when I get spooked by a jump scare that's not earned, I think of like Hereditary, and I'm like, never once, never once did Ari Aster have to jump scare me, and I was horrified <laughs> watching that whole movie. What is this trash? Film school trash? Now, it, obviously, it's not film school trash, but I just just an initial impression of my thoughts uh, when I watch The Black Phone and get jump scared by some nonsense. Um, but it is it is spooky, and there's some good stuff, and I do enjoy. Uh, the journey for Finney to get out of this place and start to solve it step by step. It's almost like uh, Matt Damon trying to get off Mars and the Martian, right? Like slowly working out, okay, how can I do this? No, I can pull this over here and oh, under this tile, I can dig and like working out this series of, you know, solutions to ultimately, hopefully escape the room with the black phone, which we should probably talk about. I haven't actually talked about the black phone at all. Uh, you did mention that he's getting ghostly calls on this, which are kind of horrifying, and the people on them have a, a bit of identity around, like, you know, being in the afterlife, wherever they're at. But uh, the phone by itself is phenomenally plain. It's just a, a phone that's uh, on the wall, and there's a plug hanging out the bottom of it because it's not plugged yeah. in. It, it got a little Cronenbergian in it at one point. Remind me of Videodrome. Yeah, the, the uh, phone starts, like, pulsing and moving. Yeah, 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 yeah very much so. Um. Yeah, I I think I've I'm ready for it. <laughs> he just exhausted it. It's, it's That's been fair. a while. Um. No. I, I, other thoughts before recommendations. Um. I don't know. I I, I felt like I saw this whole movie in the trailer, and, and a lot of Bloomhouse horrors do this. That's true. Like even just the tight like the title feels not like against what it's supposed to be, but it's just. It's very obviously a movie that's supposed to be scary and spooky and horror filled while also having like this completely uncontrollable element of supernatural, which in no way can be expected or anticipated by our protagonists or antagonists. It's it's almost like the force in Star Wars. And I think sometimes the black phone uses this as a convenience to get our characters out of a situation they may not otherwise want to be in. Uh, right when Finney doesn't know what to do, the phone rings. And he picks it up and somebody tells him exactly what to do. And then the plot keeps going. And that feels hollow for me. Uh, it does grow larger than that. There's a few characters. It's not just that. There are a couple twists and turns, which I thought were neat. Um, but I just hoped for more, I guess. I, I, I hoped it would be a little more than what I saw in the trailer. I didn't feel like I necessarily got that. And I'm excited to see what you would recommend, Andy. So with that being said, Andy, <laughs> would you recommend The Black Phone? 
Uh, I would. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was spooky. If you're looking for some summer horror, um, if you're a little unsure, I, I would say wait for streaming. But I think it is worth checking out. Uh, and one thing I wanted to note is that it was supposed to come out come out in late Jan- January. So this was supposed to be a January release. Would have been great for them. It seems a little weak for a summer release. Uh, but th- that's just maybe an interesting uh, tidbit about it. it. Was definitely supposed to come out like six months ago. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it would have played better in January in the middle of summer. Like we're we're getting films like Top Gun and Elvis and even Jurassic World. And Black Phone feels small and it feels uniquely its own because it's one of the only horror pictures out right now. Um, but I wish it had reached a little higher. I guess I, I I hoped it was a little bit more than what I'd just seen in the trailer. I didn't necessarily get that. You might feel differently if you watch it. It's obviously doing well at the box office. Um, but I, I'd say wait for streaming. Don't don't pay to see this movie. Yeah. <laughs> or if you if it's on a service Ooh. you pay for, then watch it there. I wish it had premiered there. I think I would have. Probably Hot thought set. less of Hot it set. had I watched it on the small screen, but uh, you know, it, it's 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 fine. It's fine. The black phone is fine. It it, it is an hour forty three. Uh, you know, anxious to see what Scott Derrickson does next. And with that, we should move into our middle segment. Andy, you want to introduce this one for us? It's time for the death of cinema. So uh, we're going to be discussing this article that just came out today from uh, the Hollywood Reporter, uh, the box office dispatch. How real is the boom and will it last? So as we were saying earlier, this weekend was basically the best 4th of July film weekend of all time, um, even even for uh, pre-pandemic levels. Uh, the question is, are, are the movies back and will this how long will this last? And so currently we have like five big movies out. There's Top Gun, Jurassic World, Lightyear, Elvis, and Minions Rise of Gru, uh, which is <laughs> apparently the biggest animated uh, franchise of, of all time. Um, it's cr- it's crazy how much people love Minions. But uh, does this mean the movies are back? And it's like, well, sort of. Uh, we... We again, we're still trailing behind 2019 uh, film revenue, and kind of the the big issue now, though, is that we have five big films out, but come the end of July, there's just nothing for for about two and a half months. For the rest of the month, we we have, of course, Thor: Love and Thunder next week, uh, J- Jordan Peele's Nope uh, a couple weeks after, and then uh, some kind of smaller or mid budget uh, summer re- releases. Bullet Train is also coming out, but then. Uh, there's not much, and and part of what's fueling this resurgence of the box office is having a lot of really great films out all at the same time. So uh, the question is, what what's it going to look like when when that ends? I think this is a perfect time to talk about this because yeah, I, I've I've seen so many people get on Facebook, and typically they're older and they may not know any better. And they'll be like, the movies are back, baby. Tom Cruise did it. Tom Cruise forced Paramount to put Top Gun Maverick in theaters and not go to some fake fake corporate media streaming service. And by God, he's done it. And I can't wait to go see Top Gun eight times because it's America's shit. And that's great. Like, I'm, I'm glad these people feel that way. But Andy and I have been doing this a while. Like, this has been a long time coming to get things going back at the movies. This is when all of the big studios are finally cashing in. This is the thing Christopher Nolan had hoped would happen with Tenet that totally didn't. And uh, it's summer. And that's the most important part of this. Every summer at the movies typically does well, right? Last couple of years withstanding because pandemic. Uh, This is a summer boom. It is also people going back to the movies boom for sure. But in like three months, I think all of these people who were like, the movies are back are going to be like, why is there nothing good coming out? I thought the movies were back. It's summer. It's the summer boom. And that's okay. And I'm excited for it. I'm glad things are going well. I hope it drives more people to the box office. A24 has got bodies, bodies, bodies coming out on August 5th. And I'll bet that's going to get more eyes than it would have had Top Gun not existed because Top Gun is bringing people back to the movies. But... I don't think it's necessarily bringing them back bigger and better and bolder than 2019 because 2019 was a big year at the movies. Yeah. The, again, the, it's going to be a content issue come August because there is nothing coming out in August. There is 
nothing coming out in September. Last year we had uh, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. We had a Marvel film to get you into September. There's nothing really big. There, you know, there's some smaller, some horror stuff or uh, like that. Uh, Don't worry, darling. There are movies coming out, but there aren't these big tenfold pole like oh the I think the biggest film coming out in the fall or uh, will be Halloween ends which will be middle of October um and Black Adam will also be an, another big comic book uh film that comes out in October so we'll be good once we get there but what are we going to do for the 10 weeks <laughs> uh after Nope comes out Right. We're going to stay at home and watch our streaming services and that's fine. Like that's, you know, that's to be expected, I think, but I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, I do think the box office boom is real, but I think it's smaller than people think it is. That's the thing. Like, I think, I think both can be true. It can be, it can be a boom and also be like a smaller, more concise boom and not actually like this huge anticipatory thing that people were kind of hoping would like crash this bubble that would burst. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, I, I I'm going to be horrified if top if if Top Gun wins any awards over everything ever all at once. Love Top Gun, but I don't think it's like the best movie ever. Elvis is really good, but yeah, I mean the same. Like these are these are standard summer features, and they are big deals and they're exciting. But let's not confuse like the seasonal blockbuster for the Return of the Mac. Like they're not necessarily the same thing. Um, you know, on, on the opposite side of the one, look at Jurassic World, right? That movie was so mid. My God, it was so mid. They were afraid to even put Jurassic World Dominion on the on the marketing because they knew that it would just scare dollars. people away. I know, and it's, it's doing great, right? It's doing great. Oh, Zach on off script, bitter that Jurassic World's doing good. No, 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 no. A movie can make a bunch of money and be bad. All right, they don't have to be. Those, those things are not mutually exclusive. Uh, good movies can make not a lot of money, right? Check out, check out a bunch of features from A twenty four. Like it's fine. I I don't think anything drastic's happening, but I, I don't know. I I think it's something worth talking about. Well, and Minions: Rise of Gru kind of rounds out the, the final uh, kind of demographic, which was kids and families. This was the very challenged uh, group that hadn't really come out to much of anything before this movie. The Sonic the Hedgehog two was kind of the biggest family opening at seventy two million for the pandemic era. So again, and Lightyear didn't do well. So this was kind of the, the, the last demographic to join the party and say, okay, everyone's older audiences, younger audiences, male, female, they're all ready to come back. And this is true. I, but <laughs> again, what are you going to do when there's no movies to, to see, or it's a bunch of, you know, indies or lesser known properties uh, come August. Yeah, people turn out for content. Like what you're looking at right now is the concerted effort of a number of studios all trying to put their best foot forward. And that is about run out of gas. <laughs> for the next couple months, we're not going to have that. So it's going to be a little lean at the movies, right? Our, our uh, Wall Street bets, AMC stockholders might get a little spooked. It's okay. <laughs> it's standard. And come the holiday, I'm expecting a lot more quality flicks coming out, right? It'll just be, it'll just be a, few months of, a few months of quiet. Which gives us a good opportunity here on Offscript to watch some off-the-wall features, right? Maybe some older things, some things we haven't seen in a minute or might have missed in theaters, like uh, our next exciting review that we're talking about on this show right here. This episode, you're listening to it, you're here. Annie, any other thoughts on this before we jump into, uh, you know, Ridley Scott's 2021 seminal masterpiece? No, I think I'm ready to move on. We'll, we'll just see what uh, the months of August and then September bring financially. Yeah, <laughs> we, sh we sure will. You know, we'll, we'll keep you keep it here on off script for more. With that, we should jump into our final review of the episode. Andy, please take it away. House of Gucci. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive. So this is Ridley Scott's kind kind of a bi biopic of the Gucci family, uh, based on the book by Sergey Forden. Uh, of the same title, House of Gucci. It stars Lady Gaga as Patrizia Reggiani. Uh, I can't say these names without doing the accent. The rough, who yeah. Who, who marries into the famed uh, Gucci family, which of course is known for, it's a fashion brand, luxury brand known around the world. She marries into this family as an outsider. She is not welcomed 
uh, at all. She marries Maurizio Gucci, played by Adam Driver. And she's a very ambitious uh, woman. She wants to not only be an insider, but also kind of be be a mover and a shaker within the Gucci family. And, uh, you know, the brand is kind of old fashioned. It needs new blood, new this. It, it, it's got problems. And she helps Adam Driver kind of navigate uh, some of the issues, you know, they have issues with other members of the family, like uh, Paolo Gucci played famously by Jared Leto uh, and and Al Pacino. And but some of this ambition, some of this what she's trying to do and become kind of blows up on her face. It doesn't work out quite as as she thinks uh, it's going to. So that's that's kind of our plot. This is a very long movie. This is two hours, 40 minutes. Uh, we have some great performances. We have some not so great uh, performances lots to talk about uh zach what do you think i'm excited to talk about this movie because i think house of gucci for all of the things about it that are supposed to work uh has some really fundamental structural problems which is why house of gucci might be my favorite example this year of a movie with bad editing <laughs> i think this movie is edited really poorly uh, I'm not sure who edited it. I'll find out in a second when Andy's uh, uh, getting into it. But uh, this was Ridley Scott's second feature in 2021 next to The Last Duel. Uh, the Last Duel was a script penned by uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon based on a story they had read. And between the way that film was written and the way it was edited, it is so much more interesting. I mean, fundamentally, The Last Duel follows almost a time travel plot. And House of Gucci, meanwhile, is supposed to be this kind of like overarching look at the Gucci brand from the 70s to the 90s and the, the introduction of Patrizia and how she helps steer the course in one way or another, right? For good or for better or for worse. Um, but it just kind of comes off as a series of timeline events that like don't really feel all that connected. Often the, the scene would cut to 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 a new to a different scene, different day, different time, totally different lighting, totally different look. And like it just feels disconnected. A lot of it feels disconnected. And it's weird because I think the cast is working so hard to put this together. And I feel like behind the camera, Scott's got it. Like it's a good looking movie. But it just it did not keep you tuned in for two hours forty minutes. <laughs> at least at least it didn't for me. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, I had similar feelings. This movie is less than the sum of it, its parts. It it seems it's a formula for massive success in in a lot of ways. You have an incredible cast. You have uh, all A listers: Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons. Someone let Jared Leto on stage. <laughs> yeah, you know, the trailer opens with like Academy Award winner, Academy nominated, Academy Award. It says it like six times. Like it's great, 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 great. Um, phenomenal cast, epic story crossing, you, you know, decades uh, of time. This reminded me of the kind of, of story that Scorsese would do. Scorsese, like, I think should have taken this on or could have taken this on. Yeah. And, you know, you would have seen the rise and, and fall uh, similar to something like Good Goodfellas or The Irishman, uh, something, something like that. You, you have, again, an epic story of this high, extremely wealthy uh, fashion family, and you got... Uh, you know, backstabbing, intrigue, colorful characters, murder at, at one point. And yet <laughs> the movie's yeah. just, it's really poorly paced. It's kind of boring through through most of it. Uh, it rushes through the exciting parts and it it lingers on the parts that are not. And it's just like, how do you have all these these elements that should work really well and you get a kind of a mediocre film? That's kind yeah. of kind of how I came out of it by the end. Yeah, that that that's exactly how I felt, and I couldn't help but feel like like this is an issue of editing, right? When you watch a scary movie and you get scared, it's because of good editing. When you watch a, a comedy and you laugh at something you see, it's usually because of good editing. This movie's just dull, like, and it's a bummer because I think everybody's working really hard at it. Uh, let's let's jump into our cast. Lady Gaga is our lead as Patricia Reggiana. And she is really going for it. This is her second feature following A Star Is Born, which obviously she was. She's going for the Oscar, isn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, Andy was quick to point out, I think last week or a couple weeks ago when we talked about this, that she didn't actually win Best best Actress for that movie. She won Best Song. So when it says Academy Award winner, Lady Gaga, it's because of a song she wrote. It's not because of a performance. So that's a little misleading, but... Uh, she's really going for it is Patricia. Uh, reportedly, she would do this character in public. Her friends got annoyed by how often she did it. Like she would go on stage and do a concert one night and then come off and just do Patricia for the rest of the night. Like do do the accent, really lean in. Additionally, Jared Leto, same <laughs> boat, baby. Like just just goes all the way for it. Like no no soft pedaling on the gas. He is this person, shaves the head, puts on the weight, does the accent forever. And any scene the two of them are in, like, I'm uniquely drawn to what they're doing because they're really going for it, for better or worse, right? Like, that, <laughs> in Jared Leto's case, it's, it's kind of worse. It doesn't really help. But I'll be honest, but, like, my eyes are on Paolo every scene, you know? Driver's fine. I think Adam Driver's doing fine. Like, it, it, I, I don't want to say he didn't care. But compared to something like Marriage Story, he just feels a little underutilized. And Jeremy Irons and Al Pacino as these two kind of older heads of Gucci House are doing a great job. Like, I, I enjoyed both of them just fine. So why doesn't it work? <laughs> what, well, I, what's I going to talk, on? Like, why, I want to talk yeah. about cast here a little bit. Um, mm. Yeah, Lady Gaga, I, I think, is one of the strongest parts of this movie. And she really, if you look at pictures of, of Patricia in in the 90s, and I mean, she looks just like her, like short haircut. It, it's it's astonishing. And, and Lady Gaga is is Italian, um, kind of by uh, background. Uh, she's also interesting that I didn't I don't know why I re- didn't realize in the trailer she put on some weight for this role, like 20, 20 25 pounds. A little and bit. I, yeah. I, I read that she was like eating pad, pancakes and pasta and stuff. Um, but that's that's dedication because that especially I mean she's tiny, so that's a ton, that's a ton of weight uh, to put on. Yeah, she. I uh, never when I was watching the movie did I think that's Lady Gaga. She felt she falls into the character really well. She does a great job. Yeah, and it, she. I feel like she doesn't overdo it. Like she does. She does the Italian accent, but it's not way over the top. Same thing. I, I actually, I really liked Adam Driver's performance in this because I feel like he did a good job of just looking Italian and and as opposed to like, it, he doesn't just do the the accent, but just like his, he he does the European facial and that kind of mannerisms. Really He's very well. stiff because his character is very yeah. stiff and, and Driver plays him to a fault. Um, Jeremy Irons is great. I, I I think he's actually one of the best parts of uh, this this film, and he's not in it uh, long enough. I think Al Pacino is basically just doing Italian Al Pacino. Yeah. Uh, it works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Jared Leto's performance isn't near as bad as I was led to believe. It's still re- he's still really hamming it up, you know, because it was kind of conveyed to me that he was going on there and being like, "It's me, Paolo Gucci," and it, it's not quite. That much, but it's still, it's almost like he's doing an opera by himself. He's like, it's a me, a Paolo Gucci. I'm an artist. I misunderstood. And I was just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, no one else on screen is acting like, like yes. you're you're overacting to everyone. And you're like, you're not the star of this scene. Like, what what are you doing? I mean, it's, it was just some bizarre uh, <laughs> choices in the movie. And yet, again, despite this incredible cast, it's just, it's so bland. Like, they they just skip over better parts like there's not enough of the, of the scheming and the backstabbing and uh that kind of stuff and like you know they have a little bit of a henry hill uh karen relationship for, like from goodfellas and that's not really uh explored enough and i you know it gets a, into a little bit of the decadence and the spending and the high life that that um uh Pat- patricia wanted to be a part of she wanted to be basically ro- royalty um and and she never never quite quite was so it gets it's going for it, but it just it's just not as interesting as as it should be. So it's I, I think the big problem with that is Scott seems so dedicated to representing everybody here as a unique silhouette of a character, which they are. I mean, you can look at the movie poster. We got it on Facebook and see that like each one of these characters is very much their own person. We've got the tall, slender, quiet Adam Driver. We've got the short, stout, curt Patricia. We've got, you know, Jeremy Irons back there doing his thing. Like everybody feels uniquely their own, but like nobody's really the main character. I know, I know Patricia is supposed to be, but like, you never really get inside of her head. It keeps everybody at arm's length. And half of his, I feel like most of his shots are going to be like medium shots, 
right? Cameras across the room, shoots it with a couple extras for good coverage. And then it's just a whole lot of scenes of people talking in rooms. And yeah. and like you need that like political intrigue of like Game of Thrones. You need Character the backstabbing. Yes. Like you need you need the like okay, uh, Paolo loses this new clothing line he started. What does that mean, right? Like you can't just tell me he loses it and then he st- and, and then and then Jared Leto starts crying on screen and this goofy crying thing he does. Like make me feel why that's a big deal. And and it's not an issue of runtime. I'd say you should have spent more time doing it, but like no, it's two it's 2 hours 38 minutes. Like there's plenty of time to make these things happen. I think the movie is just jumping around between setting and place, right? It, it, we'll spend some time in Italy with one character and then we'll be over in New York with another and then we're back in Italy. And then they're all in California for lunch and like you never really get an idea of I don't know, setting to establish scope, to establish why things matter. It's characters just kind of telling each other that things matter for two and a half hours. I feel like uh, uh, Lady Gaga's character, uh, Patricia, gets, she kind of gets written out of the third act. Like, she's the main character when we start the film. She's like basically the first person that that we we see. And Mm -hmm. then she kind of disappears for the third act and then it starts to focus on on Maurizio who at the very beginning of the film he's very kind of timid and and kind of a weak person weak char- character and he eventually comes into his own as kind of a douchebag Gucci uh, <laughs> once he 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 more or less uh, assumes power and then the movie shifts to being more about him but he's he's not the main character we were introduced to and and the and not near as as interesting as uh, Lady Gaga, um, th- you know the 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 new money. So that's an it's a it's a decision that is strange and doesn't really work. Yeah, uh, the first act and the third act are really disconnected, and the second second act doesn't help that. Obviously, that would be the linchpin between those two. The first act feels humble, right? Like like Patrizia is just trying to get by. Her dad works for, owns owns a small like trucking company. And she's a hard worker and goes out and does her stuff. And by the end of the movie, she's like so incredibly cold and calculating. And it's like, where was that journey? Well, why didn't we get to experience that? You know, because it it makes sense on the page, like an outsider marrying into and starting to assume control of the Gucci family and brand and starting to turn one another like that all works. That's a good entry for us, the audience into the Gucci family and to kind of fall into it. But like. It just doesn't come together on the screen, and I, I I think it's due to just kind of poor editing. Like I think I think the story we see is poorly presented. I think it's poorly paced. I think it's poorly put together. I wish we'd had a little bit more time getting to know our characters instead of keeping them at arm's length and shooting them from across the room. And I don't know. I, I don't know why. I don't know why Scott gets this wrong because he gets it so right in his other feature from the same year, The Last Duel. <laughs> Which is weird right, well, and is available on HBO if you want to watch it. I think it was just honestly, I think it was the wrong director for this. Mm. This is like I said, this is a Scorsese joint through and through. And, so, and a lot of it reminds me of, uh, of uh, I'm just going to keep talking about Goodfellas because there's a number of like big needle drops, like a lot of music moving along the story. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of that and and things like the Irishman. Um, and yeah, I just think he wasn't maybe the the right director for this. I think you're right. Yeah, like you're you're absolutely right. You give this to somebody like Scorsese, and this is a much more interesting two and a half hours. You know, um, it's frustrating. Like I don't I don't know how this happens. I don't know how you get a cast together like this and an acclaimed director. Ridley Scott's not not you know he's not nobody. I don't know how you get a big brand on board like Gucci and really tell this story. And somehow it's not as good as the sum of its parts. But it's not. It's it's just kind of. I don't know. Andy's right. Good needle drops. It's a fine looking feature. I, I do like the fashion quality costuming out of House of Gucci. That 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 for sure is a big part of this movie. But otherwise, it's just kind of, you know, there. Um, right. Right. And that's uh, again, the it, it has the the polish of like an Oscar worthy big epic. You, you have, you know, they are shooting in Italy and in New York. And again, the fat the fashion and costume is great. The sets. Every, I mean, it's it's got all of the parts. Why doesn't it work? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, any other? I don't know. Any other thoughts for recommendations? Uh, no, I think I'm ready. Uh, would you recommend House of Gucci? 
you know, despite its shortcomings, I think I would still recommend it because it's one of those, uh, save it for streaming. I mean, it's on streaming now, but um, if it were in theaters, I would say save it for streaming. It's a swing and a miss. And I, I think it's always important to see films like that because there are some good things like the first act is pretty strong the performance like lady gaga is really good jeremy irons and adam driver are really good but jared leto is it's just weird it's not even that his performance is bad it's just like so it's strange like dude yeah it's not even really funny either you're right it's just kind of odd um but there are good things about this film i I think overall it doesn't work but i think I, i would recommend you know, seeing it for the things that do work and also just learning about how, you know, sometimes a, a film can have everything going for it and, and just not really work out in the end. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat for the same reason. It's available on Amazon Prime Video. I'd say if you want to know how one of these movies shouldn't work, watch House of Gucci. It's really not that bad. I, it's not it's not bad. It's just mid. And like a movie of this size and scope and stature and budget should be so much more than just middling. Like it, it it's required to be more and this one just does not get there it's good performances all around it's good work a lot of people put in some good effort here but it just doesn't come off the screen and and i wish it did so that's how Gucci, and that's our show that's episode 182 my god the time has flown andy what are we watching next week Big week next week with the release of Thor Love and Thunder uh, which will be theaters only which is the uh fourth film in the uh Thor franchise and the next step in Marvel Phase 4 that that we're in. That'll be huge. I already got tickets. I got my tickets today to see it Friday. That's going to be pretty massive. Obviously going to win the weekend. And then we're also going to be looking at Mad God. Uh, Zach, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I can. So Mad God is a a special effects feature, really, uh, from director Phil Tippett, who previously was a special effects designer and coordinator uh, on a ton of really, really big movies that you've seen. All the good, all, all the original Star Wars movies. Phil Tippett was special effects. RoboCop. Phil Tippett. Phil Tippett was special effects. Those are the immediate ones I can think of. I know there's a bunch more. <laughs> Phil Tippett has been working on this idea for Mad God for 30 years, and he started filming it 30 years ago, three decades ago. He started filming Mad God and only finished it this year. It took him 30 years between other movies, other things he's been working on. He has been slowly plugging away on what is supposed to be. Basically, a special effects showcase from the master himself. A lot of it is stop motion. A bit of it is live action. There are a ton of like crazy, wild effects going on in this story of a dystopian universe where a... I think it's he's a miner of some sort, is traveling through this like horrific landscape to try to do something. I don't really know. Uh, it, it got some small screenings in town. I'd heard about it right when it was kind of wrapping up its run here at our smaller indie theaters. Uh, and then they started doing encores. And I thought, okay, I want to I want to go see one of these encores. This sounds cool. So I had our little group chat about it. And one of the guys that man that Andy and I watch movies with, he said, "Well, actually, I think I'm going to watch it on Shutter. Y'all should come over and watch it." Shutter being the horror streaming service, which is why we're excited to say that our show's growing. That's right. Little off script has more things going on than ever before, <laughs> and we are now watching a movie on Shutter service neither of us have tried. So yeah, we'll we'll give you a short little review of that as well. I think Shutter, please sponsor us. <laughs> So that's it. Mad God's going to be some weird, bold cinema. I don't really know what I'm getting into, but I know it's got a lot of wacky effects, and I love wacky effects, and I love stop motion, and Thor Love and Thunder should be a lot of fun, too. If you enjoyed the show today, off script episode 182 that we've recorded here with you and also streamed live on Facebook, you can check out our Facebook Lives when we go live every Tuesday afternoon, whenever we're doing an episode. You can find us on YouTube where we upload our episodes after the fact. We're on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and iHeartMedia and all the usual places you find your audio-only podcast. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. You can follow us in any of those places and you can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. And email us correspondence at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com or other reviews or what whatever you honestly, you can email us anything and we'll probably talk about it. Uh, but the <laughs> biggest thing you can do to help out your boys here at Offscript is just subscribe. Just subscribe to Offscript to get new episodes delivered straight to your phone every single week whenever we do them, of course. Uh, movies are expensive. Podcasts are cheap. You know, subscribe to Offscript and you can uh, find out what's going on at the movies and whether or not films are worth your time. 
I think that covers everything. Uh, yeah, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.